0: called
1: Hello, and welcome to Sonic Talk episode 8. Uh, today's Thursday, the 10th of August. Today's guests are Andy Jones and Dave Spears. Andy is uh, a writer and... Uh, PR consultant from uh, Feedback PR, used to be the editor of uh, Future Music, and now handles the PR for a number of high-tech musical instrument manufacturers and technologists. Dave Spears is a part of G Media Music, who makes such fine software instruments as the Emtron, Oddity, Imposca, and the Meloman Mini Monster. (laughs) Now we are three, Uh, we've got Andy Jones and Dave Spears with us. Good afternoon, chaps. Good afternoon. And um, well, first up, I suppose the big, big bit of news really is um, the new Mac Pro. Can anyone imagine actually ever needing uh, a quad core, three gigahertz machine?
2: Probably. I'll tell you where it is going to become really handy for me is um, with all the high definition video stuff. That's the first thing that I looked at because it's uh, you can it's got up to two terabytes of storage in it, and you can get that's four hours of uncompressed high definition video. So forget audio for a minute, that's what's um, tempting me.
1: It says on the website all Mac Pro configurations include two dual core Intel Xeon Woodcrest processors, eight fully buffered DIMM slots, one double wide PCI Express graphics slot, three full length PCI Express expansion shop th- slots, four, finally, hard drive bays, which is a nice one because they've only previously had two, two optical drive bays, five USB 2 ports, two 5Y400s, two 5Y800 ports, and dual gigabit Ethernet ports. Um, that's kind of good. I mean, that's going to give you as much connectivity as you want. I mean, the dual gigabit uh, Ethernet ports are useful, so you can add e- uh, Ethernet storage and keep, you know, your your storage traffic away from your network traffic. Uh, yeah, it's got eight
2: good. DIMM slots, so th- I mean, that should keep you going for a while. Yeah, that's what I need. In fact, that's the only thing that's kind of miffed me a little bit about the um, MacBook Pro. So, I think we've got what a max of two gigs on on the ones at the minute. Right, and that's not enough for you for video, I presumably. Uh, well, I mean, even for audio, you know, if you're running shed loads of samples and stuff like that, it's like, oh blimey, I'm going to use that up pretty quickly. I mean, these don't look too um,
1: too badly priced. I mean, the the two six six dual core is starts at uh, what's it seventeen hundred pounds. Does it say shipping type ready to ship in three to five days? So um, well, that's amazing. On, although you know, as we know with Apple, I mean. Uh, And most hardware manufacturers, I mean, it's generally people who buy the very first models usually have to suffer the consequences of perhaps, you know, dodgy power supplies or anything that needs tweaking on the production run. So one might want till revision two or three, really, to be uh, absolutely safe. Although uh, I
0: probably won't be able to use that because Apple will probably sue me.
2: Which you don't want.
0: (laughs) As ever with these things, it sounds totally future-proof. It sounds like it's going to be the only computer you're ever going to need. But you know that, you know very soon that sloppy programming will, will have them running to the absolute limit in uh, in about six months' time, and we'll all be after more. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs>
1: but, I mean, the, the, you know, the basic model at 1,700 quid, you get two dual core, so they are f- quad-core, effectively. Cool, oh, that is th- that is such
0: a good price, actually, 1,700 quid. Right yeah, I mean, that ain't bad, is it? <sighs> I paid over two for my laptop, so... Um yeah I mean that's amazing
1: well presumably you'll be able to dual boot these as well or, or you know if there's if uh, we think about the parallel system which uh, appears to be um, gaining popularity you know you'll be able to run multiple you know or at least two operating systems at the same go I mean there's been a yeah. new upgrade to that parallel system to, uh, today or you the know, last couple what's of days. what's the upgrade been because I'm quite interested in that more efficient file sharing between operating systems uh, m- more efficient OSX operation by you, you know, by optimizing the cache, etc. There's a, there's a few tweaks that, that improve performance and improve uh, file sharing between file systems.
0: Aren't there rumours that the next uh, version of OSX, Pussy or whatever it's going to be called, is going to have... Yeah, there two? are
1: rumours that they're going to incorporate parallels into the operating system, but, you know, uh, okay. so far yeah. it's not really been uh, justified. Everybody wants it to happen, obviously, and uh, yeah. apart, apart from the people who make parallels, I'd imagine, who are probably thinking, quick, quick, sell as many as we can and uh, before they, they, they do us. It's a bit of a precarious business proposition, I'm presuming, unless, of course, Apple buy them outright speaking of buying i mean uh, anyone see that avid uh, bought sebalius
0: mm. now that, is that interesting. an interesting thing or not well it is because uh, avid have been buying a few people haven't they i mean they're, they they own M- audio uh that was a couple of years ago um where next i mean they, they seem to have a foot in lots of different camps now and uh they've got the the, the the best notation software that you can buy, haven't they? I mean, and, Well, apparently uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's the, been going a long time,
1: hasn't it, Sibelius? Yeah. Mean, it's a very, very uh, sort of mature product.
0: And the, I mean, the the, the I've, I spoke to a couple of the guys from M-Audio, I and mean, they were saying that, you know, that you're going to start seeing little bits of everything that Avid own in little bits of everything else. Sometimes it's nice when one big company owns lots of little bits and pieces, because they can get everything moving. Uh, everybody can benefit. Obviously, some people don't like it when... Big companies own everybody, but um, I think in this case it should be quite good.
1: The thing about the Sibelius purchase is because they've got such a massive foothold in the education market, as I yeah. put per- in our news item, you know, it's basically they can, uh, they can capture impressionable young people while they're being educated and sort of steer them towards avid owned products. So mm. it's a great way of getting them you know, getting their products into into people's kind of consciousness. Interesting. I mean, is that going to have any effect on you, do you think, Dave? I mean, is it going to make maybe mean that there's going to have a stronger push on software going into stores and kind of so that'll just mean, you
2: know, generally people will be taking more software in stores? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. I mean, my first thought with this whole thing was obviously the educational market, which is bloody massive, actually. I've got a friend who works in that whole kind of arena and, uh, you know, companies like Eddie Roll and... M-Audio are doing pretty damn well in that that whole vibe. Pretty much every film composer of any note who uses anything electronic will have Sibelius.
0: Um, well, also, I guess that leaves another question, is what what else can I have it buy? Is there anything uh, left for them? Is there a gap in their portfolio? Maybe they'll be interested in acquiring more software houses, who knows Maybe they'll be interested in acquiring A cheeky one that I know Who puts out some very fine software <laughs> Dave, have you, have you have you had the call? I reckon they could do with a good website <laughs> And a bit of decent PR in all honesty Yes, yeah. that's right Well maybe we should um, we should get ourselves an agent We could all join up And, and just offer the full service <laughs> Yeah, why not <laughs> Sonic. Dot com. So I see there's a new Massive Attack album on the way yeah, yeah, I don't think that's uh, as, as big a news, maybe, as it once was. I mean, everybody, I remember when the announcement of a Massive Attack album was greeted with uh, choruses of cheers, but um, I think, I, I, I don't know, I'm one of these people who thinks they've lost their way a little bit over recent releases. My, my wife bought their Best of um, a few weeks back just for the car, she says, despite the fact that we've got all of the albums, you know, and she could have ripped a, a new one or whatever. But she's, so we were listening to this on a very long journey. And the first two-thirds of it, you just think this band can do absolutely no wrong and they have produced some of the most timeless, glorious music ever. And it, every single track is just amazing. And then the last third, you just think it's a completely different band. what the hell's going on here? This is just awful. It's just tragic. And um, I'm afraid, the, 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 obviously, the last third was their later material. People will probably disagree with me, but I, I, it seemed to go a little bit wrong when... So, rumors have it, all of the members stopped actually working together in the studio. So, I don't know how good it's going, the, the new stuff is going to be. We know they're very capable of producing some great music, but whether it's going to be, I don't know.
1: Well, a friend of mine um, who I used to work with, he actually produced them, or, you know, I, I don't know whether it's produced or co produced, Neil Davidge. And uh, I know that they worked him very, very hard. Um, I mean, perhaps in some respects from the actual making, you know, if there's less. Uh, you know, if, if certain members have just gone their own ways and aren't bothered being bothered to be involved, then there'll be a certain, more of a clarity and kind of unity of direction that might make it uh, refreshingly different. Mm.
0: But you do you do know that some bands obviously produce their best material when the the people don't get on you know, they they might actually produce some really good stuff with the friction that's involved between the band members.
1: I'd imagine that works better if you're in an actual real band who kind of get together Maybe. and play together, so you can kind of take your aggression out on, your, on playing your guitar harder, like the Stones or yeah. whatever. But I think when you're sitting in a room programming with a mouse or whatever, it perhaps doesn't manifest itself in the same constructive way. I know, Dave. I mean, you've worked with a lot of people over the years. I mean, you must have been in some awkward situations. What's your take on it?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I think the, uh, yeah, like you say, if you can hit a drum kit harder or thrash a guitar louder, then it works. But uh, when you're sitting there going, that bloody drum track, things can get a little bit punchy at times. I did see them probably a year or so ago. And live. I thought they were awesome. No, they're really great.
1: Awesome. Well, they've, they've got... Um, I mean, they lean quite heavily on the Angelo Braschini, who's the main guitarist. I mean, he used to be in the Blue Airplanes. And he is uh, uh, and quite possibly one of the best guitarists in the country. I mean, he's very unsung, but I've done a couple of sessions with him and he'd play the guitar and just kind of get lost in music and everybody would just be sitting there kind of weeping because of the sort of beauty of what he'd done. And he'd look up and go... Was that right? It was he, and and I think he's, you know, he's really strutting his stuff. I mean, he, the, a lot of the show seems to be revolving around him running up the front and making his, making his noise. But they, their light show was superb. I remember seeing them in Bristol a few years ago um, when they, they did a sort of big uh, show there. And it, the lights were, you know, the show was amazing, but they were playing stuff from, was it 100th window? Mm, and it was yeah. a bit obscure.
0: Either way, it's going to be interesting. And then you've got to admire what they do anyway, because they certainly do a lot better than a lot of other stuff that's around at the moment and it's always going to be interesting. So,
1: um, Actually, next week, we've got uh, a, an interview I recorded with Roger O'Donnell, who is a keyboard player from the sort of golden years of the 80s. He started out his professional touring life in, uh, in the Thompson Twins, uh, where he kind of was... Was on stage touring massive stadiums, you know, and then he joined the psychedelic Furs, and then he was in The Cure. Um, and he's got some interesting stories. And also, what he's just done is he's made an, an entire album using a Moog Voyager. me? no, I'd be quite interested in hearing a uh, Moog Voyager only album, definitely. Well, um, if you listen next week, um, there'll be all the various links and uh, stuff in the show notes, so um, book Thanks. early. And-
2: Anyone who played with the Thompson Twins is all right by me.
1: I don't know how he survived the 80s. Well, I do know how he survived the 80s, he told me. But uh, you'll have to tune in and listen to that one. (laughs) So, um, speaking of sort of vintage technology, that's not a very good link, but I suppose it's about as good as you're going to get today. Um, That Mellotron piece on on YouTube that
2: uh, Dave found, uh, perhaps you'd like to describe it to us? Uh, Well, it's obviously an original... uh, bit of advertising for the Mellotron I thought it was some it's, it's just so quintessentially English it's hilarious it's almost a complete antithesis to that kind of you know all those um 80s synth players strutting around on stage looking like fools instead you've got what was his name Robinson Eric
0: Robinson and David Nixon from David Nixon's Magic Box no less but it's also, there was also a classic bit when he said, uh, they, they play a bit of music over the background, and he says, I expect you thought I was playing along playing playing record. <laughs>
1: Harry Enfield used to have a character called Mr. Chumley Warner, um, uh, that he did a sort of pastiche of 50s informational films, and this is pretty much like one of those, but it's for real, and essentially they're just kind of going through the marvellous capabilities of this newfangled technology in the melotron, and it's uh, it's just a cracking piece of film. I wonder where they would have used it. Would it have been a TV piece or something a little short for the cinema? What do, where do you think? Maybe yeah, the probably. cinema, I guess. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I wonder what the date of it was. Oh, I mean, blimey, if that's, what was that? That must have been about sort of 63, 64, something like that. Well, I saw it was that Pathé lot, wasn't it? And they've, I mean, if you go to their website, they've got some amazing stuff up there. You know, you can download kind of low-res clips of uh, a load of their footage. But then uh. also, if you want, you can buy high-res clips. I think, uh, in fact, I, I spent literally like half a day trawling through that site, finding various bits and pieces. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, that bit where, um, you know, whenever they show the swinging 60s, you've got that kind of, you know, the same old footage from Carnaby Street with the guy trying on the kind of paisley jacket and stuff. Brilliant, do they do, do
1: they charge a lot for those sort of uh, for that use of that sort of footage or they got a sliding scale
2: Uh I think low res you could download, download low res stuff free um but if you want to use it within something you know that, a kind of high res web based thing I think it was 500 quid for a clip which right. actually I didn't think was too bad I suppose not it was brilliant and I love that terminally camp um Professional pianist at the
1: end. Well, it's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, the guy who was actually—I thought—was doing a, pre- you know, the son-in-law was doing a pretty good job of demonstrating it, and then uh, then he just sort of says, "Oh, actually, this is obviously rubbish. Let's have a real musician and see what they can do." <laughs> and um, I preferred the other guy myself. The real musician was a bit twiddly, wasn't he? But um, so, what what, what
2: mellotron do you think that was? Because I
1: don't—I'm I'm not very familiar with the hardware. I mean, it's a dual manual thing.
2: Yeah, it was the Mark II. It's the same one as um, used on sort of Bungalow Bill and Strawberry Fields and stuff like that. And in fact bill wyman and all those guys had one but it was the yeah it was the mark ii
1: well thank you very much for that dave there you go train spotter alert yeah well i we thoroughly really recommend you uh, you take a look at that it's great
0: sonic state
1: um. Okay. Uh. The other thing that you sent me, you was that OK Go. Um. There's a there's a band on uh, on YouTube called OK Go, and they've basically uh got a couple of video, two or three videos on there that they seem to choreograph, choreograph themselves. It's like there's a bloke running back from the camera where he started the record button, and then he's got a remote control for the ghetto blaster that's playing the track, and they've just got these incredible dance routines. And the one that you sent me was them on. It looks like what six treadmills. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was rather disappointed to find that they were a proper signed band, you know, with like proper budget and stuff.
2: Oh, they are signed, are they?
1: Yeah. I mean obviously with all these things you always think, oh, wouldn't it be great if they're just people in their back room doing them doing the best they can with the money? But actually I mean they're obviously very creative people, uh, but they have got a record deal. Um They're signed to Capital, okay. in fact. Ah, okay. So yes. But there's there's a couple of other ones. I think their first video was them in the dancing in the backyard and their dance routines are just hilarious. And apparently it's the it's the singer's sister who just came up with the, the routine. It's very much like um the Spike Jones um praise you kind of video, but yeah. actually sort of more charming because they're all dressed in sort of trendy in their trendy indie band gear, um, doing these incredible moves.
2: uh, I I just kept looking for the edit. You know, it's like, where's the edit going to come? Where's the edit going to come to show that it'd been pieced together? But I mean, it was just an entire routine. They look sort of
1: like they're not the sort of guys who'd spend hours rehearsing looking in a mirror, but they must (laughs) have done because there's just no way that they could have done those videos in one in one take without, you know, endless
2: rehearsals or maybe they're just born naturals even better if it took about five minutes right you do this i'll do this you do that and at the end we both we all go through each other's legs and fall off the back of that
1: treadmill and they made it up but there's some brilliant moves in that treadmill thing where they sort of look like they're roller skating down the line of them it's just absolutely superb (laughs) um i can i'll put the links in the show notes and you guys can all check it out (laughs) dave you're off on holiday in a minute i believe you're basically leaving the podcast to jump into a waiting car is it going to whisk
2: you off anywhere exotic Uh, No, France. Well, that's quite (laughs) exotic. It's exotic to some. We we, uh, go and stay with some friends of ours down near Bordeaux, and he's an Irish folk singer, so he always makes sure that I kind of leave the computer in the gite, and we go out and do some live playing. It's a different uh, world, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and one that I haven't really experienced for a long, long time now. It's funny, I mean, I was working on an
1: album that was requiring a, a meticulous level of uh, sort of finickety editing and kind of programming, and uh, we went over to Nashville for the Summer Nam show, and it was the first one that we'd gone to, and one of the parties ar- after the show was a launch of uh, some Steinberg hardware, I forget which it was, and we went to this studio, uh, it was a beautiful studio in Nashville, and they had all these gilded pictures of kind of big-hatted country stars, and it was one of those publishing studios where they have a very fast turnover and I was talking to the engineer there and he was saying yeah well what happens is um we set up in the morning the the session musicians come in um you know they they kind of work through some of the songs the singer then comes in shortly afterwards and uh we usually record 10 or 12 songs and then uh, we break for supper and then I'll sort of hang around, you know I'll, I'll do a bit of fixing and then the next day we'll mix them and then that's the album that's two days
2: yeah phenomenal
1: I mean, and I was thinking, God, I just spent two days working on a hi-hat part. Yes.
2: <laughs> oh, I know that one so well. God.
0: The Core thing. Cool, I just sorry, want to run this by um, by Dave, actually. Basically, it it came from a thread on the NI forums, and it was a, a a guy who'd just bought Core, and he was kicking off saying that Native Instruments were like the CIA because they wanted to ask him loads of questions about the software that he had installed on his machine while he was trying to install Core. Turned out what Core does, uh, or what part of the, the NI registration process does, what, what Core's looking for is, is um, to optimise current, currently installed native instruments products, so it can either update them, or it can find out what presets are being used, because Core is a preset management system. What it did, it found that on this guy's system, it basically found a load of cracked NI products, so refused to install this guy kicks off and says, look, I've just paid good money for this, this piece of hardware and it won't install on my system. But it just got me thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm on Native Instruments' side on this one, to be honest, but uh does actually sound like Core not only not only looks after your plugins for you, but it checks the legitimacy. And I would have thought that they could open that technology up to to any software developer.
1: That's mm-hmm. an interesting thought. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, I mean, I suppose, Dave, you're going to be best placed to find out if they are offering this this kind of service, because I mean, it would it would certainly fit in with the way that they've been working with, uh, you know, their contact engine. For instance, they've opened that up to other developers so that they can use that as the vehicle for their sample libraries, etc.
2: I think it's quite an interesting uh, that's quite an interesting development. I mean, one to pursue maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean, from our perspective, we'd probably be uh, up for something like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, it just remains to me to thank our guests, Andy Jones cheers thank you very much and dave spears have a good holiday dave thank you thanks a lot thanks for listening so, once again, please do get in touch with us. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments or anything you fancy just leaving an answer phone message on our Skype handle, Sonic Talk, or if you want to give us a ring, we've got a number in the US, and that's 312-376-8089. Outside the US, 001-312-376-8089. Uh, alternatively, you can email us at sonictalk at sonicstate.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'd love to use some of your stuff in future podcasts.
0: Sonic call.